the 76ers aren't paying employees, but now they are. And could the NBA Finals go into late September? And then who is your least favorite NBA player of all time? It's the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Let's do this. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA, the daily podcast still covering everything you want to know about the NBA and the association as a whole. On Wednesdays, I'm your co-host Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales. You can find me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John and I host Locked On Celtics. We hope you are doing well, being safe. Before we dive into everything, don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts from. Still breaking down everything going on around the league. And there's still a lot going on because the 76ers decided to make a mess of everything yesterday. <laughs> First announcing that they were going to plan for a 20% reduction on employee salaries. Asking some to work uh, uh, four days a week instead of five, making it optional for some people. And then the Twitter backlash started with this, and they quickly reversed course, saying that this was a mistake, actually saying it was a mistake, apologizing for it, and reversing the decision. This was the correct end result, but how we got here took a whole lot of public shaming, right, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank thank you, Twitter, for holding people accountable. Uh, Be the but change this is... you want to see in the world by bullying <laughs> right. billionaires on social media. That's right. That's right. You know, this is just such a weird time uh, because this is like everybody's trying to figure things out. Right. There's no money coming in. So their their argument is we don't have money coming in. We're not playing games. So we if we don't have money coming in. We can't pay you what we've normally, this is everybody's going to sacrifice, right? Like that's the, yeah. that's the thing. But like at the same time, this isn't like me owning a restaurant and be like, okay guys, I can, we're going to do takeout and everybody's going to scale back. I can do this. Like we're all in it together. This is every one of these team owners is super, super rich. And considering the climate in the country right now and how basketball Twitter, uh, I think, overwhelmingly leans left yes there's a um there's a a backlash against rich people anyway like the super super rich and there's a backlash against them especially now in this time of coronavirus and uh rich people getting testing and and the, the way the hospital system set up and blah, blah 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 then they come out and they're like billionaire owners saying like oh we're gonna ask people now to take a, a bigger hit to their their wallets the whole thing it was just so poorly timed and and unaware like read the room guys read the room yes it's, so the the whole thing was was interesting because also as this was unfolding Joel Embiid uh declared that he was going to uh support people to the tune of right. half a million dollars for right. those workers so that they wouldn't have a reduction in salary and when you have, you know, the owners who combined, I think the two main ones are uh, combined like five billion. 
you know, doing this. And then you have a guy who's not worth $5 billion saying, I'll give half a million so that people don't have to go through this. And it's like, you know, an employee with almost like a trust fund covering for other employees while owners won't do anything, I guess, in a way of looking at it. And that just isn't going to sit well with a lot of people. Look, I don't doubt that, you know, these are run as businesses and you don't necessarily have owners pumping their own personal cash into some of these things and they want them to be self-sufficient. But these are very weird times, too. And I understand that maybe down the line we're going to run into where this is a thing and you do have to take some dramatic steps. The problem is we're not even two weeks into the season being suspended. And that's what rubs me the wrong way and I think is part of the optics of it. If it was like four months into this and we still hadn't seen any basketball, I think it'd be a little bit more uh, – people would be more understanding. But like 11, 12 days into all of this, that's not going to go over well. Right. You're right. Exactly. And I think, and I think there's just like general panic going on. Um, and, and I don't think that people are are taking the, the time, like you're saying, to to really just sit back and like, all right. Let's assess this situation. Let's every, let's get our ducks in a row and and assess. And, and maybe maybe I'm just, I I try to see these things from other people's perspectives. Not that I agree. Like I, I want to make it clear that I make these arguments. I'm not arg, uh, advocating for what they did. Maybe they see something that we don't see. Maybe they see a longer term thing. And this will go into the second segment where we talk yep. about how long the league will have to wait. Uh, and, and look, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell businesses to lose money, but at the same time, these people are in a position to take a greater hit. Yes, they like, are that, that, 100%. And right. Like you're, you're sitting there like, oh, you're a billionaire. Like, I, I don't want, I don't want to force like everybody to, to lose money, but like you're a billionaire. Like this doesn't even, you don't even realize it. Like I always say, if if this money just disappeared from the bank account and they never like they never checked, they would never know. Like they would never know that even millions of dollars was gone because their lives would just keep on going. You got so much money, you really aren't impacted by this. This is like me saying, yeah, I got two bucks that I can give to somebody, and and that will sustain them for five months. If my two dollars like if I dropped two dollars and kept on walking, I would never know I lost two dollars. But that, and that's kind of like what it is to them. So uh, I agree with you, um, and I understand the NBA has got to do something. Yeah. And, and 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 there's this other provision where some of the players might might lose a so, little bit of their money. That's where that's what's interesting about this. So obviously they reversed course, and I think this will prevent in the short term other NBA teams making a move like this because the backlash was so great. And look, to the 76ers' credit, they had part owner Michael Rubin, who apparently was outraged over this and didn't like this anyway and fought against this. But I guess he's not the majority owner or one of the biggest people, you know, in terms of stake in the room to kind of fight back against it. But certainly this will kind of force the hand of other NBA teams in the meantime. But as we get on and on and on, that may change. And that's when I think you'll start to see some cost-cutting measures. And there is a provision in the CBA that it sounds like the owners can try and not pay the players. And if we don't get games for two or three months, are we headed that direction? We're going to be clear that it's not just not pay the players. It's a percentage. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 196th of their salaries. It's not you don't get paid for this game. It's 196th. 
So it's it's less than a full game check, uh, okay. I guess. So there's there's a percentage. Um, I don't know exactly how much that impacts each player. I mean, I'm sure when you make less money, like you're a rookie or a second round pick or a low first round pick, you're gonna you're gonna feel that a little bit more. But also, these guys, they have been paid for most of the season. They've gotten most of their money. We're really only talking about one month of their pay. So the the hit to the players, I think, would be minimal. Now, again, we're at the same thing before as, look, these guys, the, the teams, they're making plenty of money. So I think they, out of a goodwill, as they navigate these un, uncharted waters, I think out of goodwill, they should just pay the players. But I, if they don't, if they decide to enforce this, it's it's not a huge percentage. And Jake, look, the NBA and the Players Association has to sit down and go through collective bargaining right now because player contracts end on June 30th. Yep. Players have opt-outs at the end of June. And we're talking about, again, in the next segment, the finals extending into possibly September well, they have to sit down and figure out what happens to all these guys contractually. So if you sit there and you take away players' money and then you ask the, 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 the association to say, hey, work with us on, on, their, on your contracts, but you just took money away from us. Like you expect us to just give you this other stuff now? You're going to have to pay for it. So I think goodwill as part of the negotiations is in play here when, when it comes to enacting that measure as well. Yeah, certainly. And you, you would hope the goodwill extends to kind of everyone outside of that, even if they don't necessarily need that as a as a leverage play. And you haven't you've seen some owners commit. You've seen the majority of owners commit to paying employees for at least a month and then some kind of be a little bit more noncommittal about it. But overall, I think people are trying to do the right thing. But it seems like they're they're starting to think, as you mentioned, long-term about this and trying to t- kind of take measures now, which is going to be interesting to see how this goes because it doesn't seem like, okay, the Sixers had to reverse course and now all of a sudden we're never going to hear about this again. And that also may depend on how long the season goes on, which is a really good segue for what we're going to talk about coming up next in an article on ESPN from Adrian Wojnarowski. Before we do that, though, again, don't forget, subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcast from here. Monday through Friday for you all still covering everything you want to know about the league, giving you updates, having some fun on the show as well, and just helping you get through on your day to day as everyone's stuck inside for a little bit longer. So subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. All right, so we talked about it in the last segment that there's an article on ESPN.com from Adrian Wojnarowski that kind of looks at what's going on in the NBA as they hit this, you know, uncharted uh, territory where no one really knows what to do. But one of the things that you and I were kind of struck by from that was they're looking at potentially playing the NBA Finals in September and things could drag on that long. As you, you mentioned in the last segment, there's a whole lot to unpack there and a whole lot of complications with that. Yeah, it's there. There are so many things to just restarting the season. Okay, how how long are they going to actually wait? Uh, how much time are these gonna these guys gonna have off? If we're talking about starting a season, if you're starting a, an NBA season, I'm sorry, if you're finishing an NBA season at the end of September, you're restarting it now at the beginning of July. Let's say you have to have some sort of training camp. You have to give these guys time to get back into shape. Practice facilities are closed. 
these guys don't have anywhere to work out and play basketball. They're doing like squats and burpees in their, in their house. They're not playing basketball. So they have to get into shape. Where do they play? They're not, you're not opening up the garden in the smoothie King center and having the Celtics travel down to new Orleans to play in an empty arena. Nope. You have to, you have to keep these guys safe. You have to make sure that everybody's tested and negative and, and not spreading anything. So there are a lot of things that you need to work out just to start the season up again. And not to mention the long-term impact of if the NBA finals end at the end of September, when does the next season start, Jake? Yeah, and so that's where this might be the catalyst for moving the start of the league year and shifting the calendar to December and kind of kick, uh, tipping it off, I guess, where a lot of people see the unofficial start of the NBA season being on Christmas Day, that if you push things back, and certainly you could shorten next season if you want to kind of play a full season this year and keep things going, but I think the NBA would like to avoid shortening anything right now because that does impact the salary cap. That means less money coming in, and they're trying to maintain the status quo of as much money as possible and kind of keep it where it's been. So shortening the season to 66 games or less than that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. So it almost means you kind of have to delay the start of the year and kind of keep things going if you want to play that full 82-game schedule. Yeah, there's going to be a permanent impact on the NBA somehow. Like, what? what's one extreme? They never return. They cancel the season, which means they lose a lot of money, which means the salary cap next year is tremendously impacted, which means keep going down the road. Who doesn't change teams that could have changed teams, that might have wanted to change teams? Who opts in versus opting out because they're, you know, they, they aren't going to get what they think they're going to get or they can't get what they thought they were going to get on an open market? Players' values all diminish. Go to the other way. If you play the full season, like you said, you go to September. When do you start the next season? You got to start. You got to take a couple of months off. So October, November are off. You have a free agency period in October, a down period in November, and then you start training camps again December. And maybe you do what the Hawks owner said, and that you just permanently go that route, or. Maybe you start doing that 70-game season or 72-game season that people start talking about. And you kind of mix the two ideas and you shift your schedule and you say, hey, look, COVID-19 changed us forever. We're just going to change our schedule. We're not going to compete as much with the NFL. We're going to uh, kind of run our season into the summer. Better ratings because only your only competition is baseball. But uh, – so there, there's certainly that whole level of, of possibility. And one other thing, what happens to the WNBA? That's they, a really, it's kind of an afterthought in all this, I guess, right now. You're right. You know, they're, they play in the summer to keep basketball going during the, the uh, NBA offseason. Then they, a lot of these women, play in regular leagues that during a regular season across uh, around the world. Um, and these other players, like, never mind just – the WNBA and women who try to balance the schedule, which is ridiculous. You've got international players, college players. Their season starts like if you're if you're coming out of college and you have to make a decision. Do you go to an international team in September or August or July, whenever these guys are normally signing? The NBA playoffs are going on, and you you now have an opportunity. You thought you might have had an opportunity to sign with, I don't know your world champion LA Clippers, but 
I have to go across overseas. I have to go play in Germany, let's say. Like yeah. there, there are a lot of things that we don't even think about that the tentacles go far and wide. And I don't think NBA teams are willing to give up on a pool of talent that could be the next guy that you sign for nothing and could be a, a cheap way to kind of bolster your team, especially for these contenders with big contracts to, to their stars. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. You know, there's it's just it's a lot to unpack and a lot to unravel, and I think that's so why much. You, we haven't heard concretely what the league wants to do and kind of what their plan is, because frankly, they're probably still figuring everything out. And I know people really want answers in a time of uncertainty like this. And the thing is, we're probably not going to get them for a little bit longer, which I think is just kind of a disconcerting idea and concept to a lot of people so it's weird like uh as you mentioned though it's the the league is going to kind of be forever changed because of this and i think that is very very safe to say that there's just no go going around that because the this has altered the landscape of the nba whether it's the start of the league whether it's way ways things get done or the calendar but man it's going to be different you know like two seasons from now when we're really starting to feel all of this yeah yeah <laughs> whenever those seasons are you know, it, right. <laughs> we don't know. Like, we haven't even talked about like, how does this, if, if the salary cap changes significantly, what happens with the Giannis and Tentacumpo pursuit? Like that's the, yep. he's, he's the big prize next summer. And if, if he's sitting there saying like, you know what? I, I, I was entertaining leaving Milwaukee, but you know, it's just too uncertain out there. I'm just going to stick around. And now teams with, all of this cap space or who thought they had cap space have to change their, th this really changes yeah. the entire course of NBA history, like in so many different ways. Well, look at a guy like Anthony Davis, who has a player option for next season for $28.75 million. How much does the cap have to drop for him to go, you know what, I'm going to opt into that. And maybe the Lakers end up getting him a little bit cheaper for a year than they would have otherwise. And so some of the like ramifications for this are massive in terms of free agency and player movement and salary cap and rosters and team construction. Yep. It's the, we have only begun to scratch the surface. I mean, this is sit down uh, with a big notebook and have a couple of drinks, crack open a bottle of whiskey and let's start talking. And you can start really <laughs> going down all of the different ways this impacts teams. Cause as I'm talking, like as I was making my WNBA point, the international player point popped into my head, like, Oh, th those guys too. And so can the NBA even change its schedule considering the way the entire world's basketball schedule basketball season is when it is the NBA plays basketball during basketball season. It's a winter sport. And so can you just change the biggest league in the world to suddenly not basketball season and have it become a fall slash summer sport like that? I, I don't know how you do that. I really don't know how you do that as much as it makes sense on a, on a, a micro level. How do you how do guys how do international stars? How does Luka Doncic make the jump? Like, how do those guys make the job? How does it impact that? How do, how yeah, do they that's a good question. react? Like, there's, there's so many things when you consider all of the different ways the NBA does business. Uh, 
it, it's it's difficult. It's really difficult to consider. Um, the 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 buildings, the build like they have summer events during the the off season. Yeah, that it, it impact that. Now those teams usually have kind of like right of first refusal on things when the schedules start to get set for the arena, since most teams don't necessarily own their arena that they play in. They're basically just tenants. But I think that's built in a little bit. But the NBA is probably looking at all of that because you know what? That's going to at least impact the season coming up and maybe the one after that, depending on how far out some events are booked. And if you have to move those and if it's feasible to move those and what's potentially going to be lost money wise with all of that, it's a lot of rabbit holes to go down. It's a lot of doors to open with that. Good news is lockdown NBA is still five (laughs) days a week, Monday through Friday for you all breaking this all down because frankly, it's interesting. It's important. You want to know what's going to go on as we're watching the ever changing landscape of the association in the NBA here. So don't forget, subscribe to locked on NBA, wherever you get your podcasts from. All right. So we need to have a little fun here in the third segment. And I pitched it in the, in the open here as your, uh, least favorite NBA player, but least is kind of like a negative word. I don't, I don't want to use that in there. So let's go with most <laughs> because most is a positive thing. So maybe your most hated NBA player of all time. You've got one that is like a very Celtics answer. Bill Lambeer. <laughs> just, just, just that. Bill Lambeer. Uh, there. I don't know if anybody who grew up watching the Boston Celtics, especially my age. Uh, in my 40s, my mid 40s, that can say can be anything besides um, hateful. <laughs> <laughs> we hate Bill Lambeer. And you know what? If Bill Lambeer listens to this podcast, if somebody sends it to him, I bet you that would make him smile. I bet you he would laugh, get a good laugh out of that, because that's exactly what he wanted. He wanted Boston to hate him. He did everything he could to get Boston to hate him. He threw elbows. He did dirty things, cheap shots, everything he could to get opponents out of their games. And Celtics and uh, Pistons were just bitter rivals uh, in the 80s. Uh, Bill Lambeer is, is probably still, amongst my generation, the most hated athlete, never mind basketball player, the most hated athlete of that era. So, I, I mean, I dig it. That's a very good answer. Also, like, if you watch that dude play and watch some of the playoff series, like, yeah, it's it's very understandable uh, why why you would uh, say that. It's funny that you say that if someone were to send this to him, he would smile and he would kind of enjoy that, and I bet he would. I was talking on Twitter about, like, everyone's favorite uh, like Pelican slash Hornet New Orleans player that wasn't very good. And someone tagged like Dan Dickow in it and like tagged him on Twitter. And he was like, yep, that's me. And, he, and they were like, no, I don't mean that as like an insult. He goes, I don't see it as an insult. I knew my limitations. And like, yes, I wasn't that good, but I tried really hard. And he seemed to like take it as a compliment that people liked him for that. So Bill Lambier, I could see being pretty happy about this. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I was in Vegas for summer league probably two, three years ago. Um, I was staying at the Luxor and I guess that's where they play the, the, the aces they play in the Luxor or somewhere part of their whatever complex. Um, and so I, there was a cutout, a cardboard cutout of Bill Lambeer 
And every time I walked by it, I had to flip it off. <laughs> every single time. I just, compulsion. A compulsion. Just seeing his face, I'm like, oh, oh. I don't even know. I'm sure he's a nice enough guy, but he, his mission accomplished for him. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't think of anybody. As soon as you propose that question to me, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. You, the text came back to me very quickly. So very I quickly. Have, I have a weird one. Okay. I have a dude that like, I just can't stand um, for a number of reasons. And it's Marco Bellinelli. <laughs> what a random dude to like hate in the NBA. Like despair. Buys this this person. So why on, do you hate Marco Bellinelli? So he was in. He played for New Orleans for two years when they were the Hornets, and you know wasn't wasn't very good. You know, guy averaged uh, like 11 points per game for the team. It's before you know he, he never shot a lot of threes with us here, even though he uh, was a decent three point shooter. So it's kind of you know a little frustrating that you just didn't get more out of him. And like they traded for him the first year, I really started covering and following the team, and I got all excited for this like. Italian sharpshooter, that's a cool dude to have on the team. And then he just was never that good. And it was so <laughs> disappointing. And I hated it because of that. The other reason I have, I have a friend who hates him like way more than me because he used to go to this bar, Lucy's in New Orleans, like night before games, night after games. And apparently Bellinelli and my buddy had like same taste in like women. And my <laughs> friend, who's a tall, good looking dude, isn't an NBA player. So he kept getting beaten out by Marco Bellinelli to like go talk to women at this bar. So also because of that, I hate him a little bit more too because <laughs> I want my friend to do well. So that's like the reasons I hate him. I don't know what it is. He comes off so smug to me. It annoys me. He's been good elsewhere. That's super annoying to me too. Like I don't usually want people to like not succeed wherever they are. I like people in general. Go do your thing. It's great. Oh my God. Does he have to win titles with the Spurs? Things like that. Um, <laughs> I just, I hate it, man. Yeah. You know, I get it that he's like annoying. Like I've, I've said multiple times, I'm sure over the course of my life, something like, why the hell is Marco Bellinelli killing us right now? Yeah. Like, like all the time. Yeah. Like he's the one guy. It's like, Hey, if Marco Bellinelli beats us, then so be it. But as he's, hitting shots you're like no no not him uh so i get the annoyance but um uh, you you take it to another level it's a little, <laughs> little personal more for my friend than me but like yeah you know um it's kind of like like that thinking he's had he's been in the league for 12 years which is kind of wild to think about too and it's just like that dude really and like you know what? He's carved out a pretty good career. So, like, good for him. He's also blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> and apparently, like, I, I, there's a few players I've learned that if you like that have just randomly blocked a lot of people, like, almost preemptively. I'm blocked by Derek Favors, who plays on New Orleans, which is weird because, like, why? And apparently he does it because he just blocks a lot of, like, media people in the market he plays in. So he tunes it all out that way. But, like, uh -huh. Bellinelli has me blocked probably because he, like, searched a tweet about himself, saw me <laughs> saying how much I hate him, and then blocked me for it. And it's like, I don't like you because you're searching your own name on Twitter now, too. <laughs> well, how, did you get some joy in uh, 2018 when the Celtics were playing the uh, the Sixers and he hit – his foot was on the line instead of a game-winning three, he hit a game-tying two? I don't know if you remember that. It was, I, I don't, uh, but you know what? That yeah, was the, a little uh, bit. It would have been better if he missed entirely. That, no, but what made it great was 
it was the premature confetti game. That was the oh. he hit he hit the shot. He hit this ridiculous corner shot, but his foot was inside the line. It wasn't even really close. But from the if you couldn't really tell from that angle the way it was being defended, I could see why people would think it was a three. So it looked like he won the game. Confetti dropped, but it turned out it was just a two. And then the Celtics went on to win that game. And the Celtics, the Celtics Sixers confetti thing, that that's just become a thing. Uh, Marco Bellinelli was at the center of that. So I feel you know, so much better now. There you Thank go. It's my little like, contribution to you. A little bit of th- therapy here on the podcast. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I'm in a great mood now. Uh, my my good mood thing is when just <laughs> Robert Parrish, Robert Parrish just rained three tomahawks, just yep. like not dunks, like three like like karate chop punches on on Bill Lambeer. And the best part about it is he didn't get called for a foul. Like he hit him three times because he got el- Lambeer like elbowed him in the yeah, throat. Yeah, no, no, I know what you're caught. talking about. Yeah, and he just he just hit him three times and Lambeer went down and they didn't even call uh, Parrish for the foul. So he got suspended for a game, but um, at the in the moment it was like wow they didn't even call a foul on him for that. That was, was awesome. Probably kind of stunned at what just went down, but those were like those those Pistons teams in general were kind of physical and oh, really that, got under your skin with everything. That was their thing. That was yeah. their thing. They all, they all reveled in it. Yep, they they, and they all love it. So, Bill Lambert, if you're listening, John hates you. You should, you should <laughs> smile. And that's probably as good of a way to end the podcast as we're going to do it. So thank you all for listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Don't forget, tell your smart device to play Hollinger and Duncan, giving you some insight behind the scenes into what could happen with the rest of the league as they try and restart it up. And on Wednesdays, I'm your co-host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales. I host the Lockdown Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Reds Army underscore John. Hey, shout out to Chad Ford for getting a new podcast on the network, too. Welcome, Chad Ford, to the Lockdown family. As, as we look towards the draft, there's probably no better person to check out. So that is a very exciting piece of news, and I'm sure a lot more to come on that very soon. So thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you all next week. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.